Sky is starting to pump her wings. She kind of goes out towards the crowd, looks at the crowd, comes back around, is doing these super tight circles above me. I'm kind of walking around in the field, um, trying to kind of simulate what we normally do, um, just this time with 100 people watching. And, and I can see that she's still pumping her wings. She's going up, and I'm looking at my GPS, and I'm checking with the guy, uh, with, the, with the judge that has the marsh, the other GPS on. And I'm just saying, hey, do you have 260? Yeah, you have 260, okay. I've got 280, are you at 280? Yeah, you're at 280, okay. I'm at 290, 295, 299, 301. And I say, throw the pigeons. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of the Falconry Toll Podcast. And we are now at episode 99. And we are inching that much closer to our next big milestone marker being the century mark. And we have some very cool things in the works for the next few months, so we have a lot of great content lined up, and we're looking forward to bringing it to you all, and thank you all again so very much for continuing to join us on this journey. Can't ever say thank you enough, and we greatly appreciate it. And before we jump into this episode, I'm going to give a quick shout out to one of the newest sponsors of the podcast, being Bobby Yaga Crafts. If you're in the market for any high-quality handmade falconry equipment for your falconry birds i highly suggest hitting up bobby yaga he makes some great stuff my personal favorites are the anklets that he makes with marshall's easy twist nuts sewn in and it's very convenient i've really enjoyed using it the last couple of seasons so if you're interested in ordering anything from bobby yaga hit him up at bobby yaga goshawk on instagram or you can contact him at the email address that will be in the episode description you won't regret it he makes some great stuff and it's all like i said really high quality and what i like the most about him is he continues to improve his designs as well so like i said hit him up you definitely won't regret it so at the spring rendezvous banquet i was told by our mutual friend Alyssa that krista would probably be interested in being a guest on the podcast because she had some interesting perspectives and stories to share about different things that she kind of faced coming into the sport and after talking to her and learning that she had some interest in being a guest on the podcast, I quickly realized that she would probably be a good episode to have because she did indeed have some very unique perspectives and adversity, I guess you could say, in getting into the sport. So I thought that people might be able to definitely get something out of her story and learn something from it. And there's some other inspiring things too that she had to share and I think you all will if nothing else appreciate because we all kind of go through different trials and tribulations at, at times in falconry and some of her experiences are definitely no exception so all that being said I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to this conversation with Krista Edwards and I hope you enjoy it here we go It's always fun about three beers in and uh, uh, after like what? After being three? awake for who knows yeah. how long at this point? 15 yeah. hours, 18 hours? Something like that. Yeah. And after three long days of just nonstop hangouts. Nonstop socializing. Talking yep. and everything Meeting new else. people, remembering names. Which I'm terrible at. Oh normally. no, I'm a teacher and I suck at it. Yeah. 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 Well, so what grade do you teach? I teach ninth grade English language arts. A lot of people, when they hear, 
oh, you're you're a teacher and you're a falconer. You must be teaching biology or wildlife. And I'm mm. like, no, nope, I teach Shakespeare. Nice, nice. Yeah. My uh, my stepmom is a uh, eighth grade mm-hmm. English really? literature teacher. Okay, teacher, yeah, that's where I started, yeah. eighth grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I finally graduated. <laughs> yeah, well, I I don't know. I I think that she ended up really liking and settling in the the middle school realm mm-hmm. as compared to yeah. dealing with you know the high schoolers. Which I'm sure you can kind of relate to oh yeah know, high schoolers are neurotic but i love them yeah yeah well like i said it's um kind of one of those things where i'm glad that we managed to sit down and and find the time to do this i um i always like pushing through like i was saying earlier because mm-hmm. it's you never know when you're going to get the chance to you know be in a situation where you're with certain people again and i always like making the most of the opportunities whenever you know they come and yeah just push through, have another beer and push through. You know? Exactly. Here we are <laughs> until midnight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So awesome. Well, so was this your first time being at the, uh, at the archives too, or for the rendezvous? Or? This is my first time at the rendezvous. I've been to the archives quite a few times though, in the past. Okay. Um, I've been fortunate enough to make quite a few friends in Idaho. And so during the hawking season, uh, before I had a bird, um, they would say, Hey, come on up, let's go, or let's go check out Iris or, mm-hmm. you know, just whatever's happening. And I'm the first one to drop everything and drive five hours to, to Boise and back. Yeah. Yeah. And where mm-hmm. did you, I'm sorry, where'd you say you lived again? I live in Lehigh, Utah. Lehigh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, I've been through there several times, you know, Salt Lake and Ogden and Logan and yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Visiting that friends. That I-15 mostly. corridor. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah. It's... I will say that, I mean, just from what I've seen from Utah falconry, like it's funny how most of them end up in Idaho. Yes, for, you know, like, because Utah itself, I, w- I I hate to admit, does not have a lot of land for long wingers right now. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of them end up migrating north to Idaho or over to Wyoming mm-hmm. um, to find long wing slips. Yeah, yeah, unless you're flying the, the micro long wings, mm-hmm. in which case... There's still plenty of places in, in oh, Utah yeah. and stuff. And you can always find sparrows and starlings. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, pretty much any street corner. Or <laughs> oh, yeah. Any parking yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, that's awesome. No, I, like I said, I, it's, it's kind of nice meeting other people that are, that have also kind of been, um, I don't know, well-traveled, mm-hmm. so to speak. And how have you been able to, I mean, with the teacher's schedule, yeah. I mean, been able to coordinate all these things. Cause mm-hmm. when we were talking briefly a little while ago, I know you've been kind of here, there and everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, how have you been able to coordinate that around, mm-hmm. you know, your, your normal schedule? Yeah, no, of course. Um, you know, as a teacher, we're pretty much in business August until May, um, at least on the West coast, that's, that's the usual schedule. Um, and so I am unfortunate enough to have all my days off be in the summer, which is not typical falconry season. Um, but I took advantage of that in just making connections, you know, so I would travel to different countries, um, during the summer to make these connections. Uh, and then if there was a cheap flight that popped up that happened to be during fall break or spring break or winter break, I would take advantage of that and just, you know, kids, you're getting a substitute and you're going to survive. And I'm going to have a great time in Ireland or in Spain or, you know, in England um, and go and have the chance to meet different falconers um, overseas. Mm -hmm. And so I remember specifically one moment when I had just FaceTimed with this amazing falconry family in Ireland, uh, the McCanns. And they had said, hey, if you ever get the chance, come on out and visit us. And not 24 hours later, I saw a sale on Delta Sky Miles, 30,000 30, Delta points, which is 
extremely inexpensive for um, traveling from Salt Lake to London round trip um, in February. And I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going. And so I bought those tickets, got a substitute for that week, um, and went out to Ireland and England um, and met and met this amazing family, the McCanns, uh, who live in, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Drogheda, Ireland. Um, and at the time, uh, we just we went out on the moors and we went out on this beautiful hill fort built by the Celts um, and flew their birds. It was quite a beautiful experience. I don't know if you know this or not. I mean, I work in healthcare, so mm-hmm. I mean, basically, like, I I can totally relate to the challenges of trying to find yeah. you know time off and and the last couple of years or so, I've been doing you know contract work, so I try and make sure that I do my best to try and get to where like the contracts end. Yeah. And I can have like a week or two off to do these little excursions here and there and stuff, but it never, it, it doesn't always. It's hard to juggle that schedule when you're so bound to it. Yeah. It it doesn't always fall that way. Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate that it has a lot, but I mean, it's kind of like I was telling you earlier, you know, like this trip, for example, I mean, since it's only a few days, I was able to pull it off. But, you know, working five, 12 hour night shifts in a row and then coming here for a few it's days. It's exhausting. And then, yeah. I mean, yeah. so no, I get it. And that's awesome, though, mm-hmm. that you've been able to to capitalize off of, mm-hmm. you know, the connections that you've made and, and make that and make that work. Yeah. And thankfully, my admin is super my, my administration at my school is super understanding. Our mascot is the hawk. So, so they capitalize on me, um, yeah. where they can, you know, Hey, Krista, we need a hawk for this assembly. Can you get one? I'm like, sure. I can get a hawk easily, you know, mm-hmm. um, do some education, talk a little bit about falconry here and there. Um, and so when I tell my administration, Hey, I have this opportunity, they're very understanding and very supportive of, yeah, you need to go live your life. Um, but being a teacher, there is a lot of responsibility and knowing that, Hey, if I take these days off. Um, I need to make sure that whatever I put in place for my students is going to work for them as well. It's not just about me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know like for my schooling experience back in the day is like, okay, if this substitute is here, it's going to be chaos. Yeah. It's going to be absolute chaos. They're going to get eaten alive and you know, it's just, you know, all hell breaks loose on Mm -hmm. earth for, for 45 minutes or whatever. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's the nice thing about my, um, about my situation is I have a list of substitutes that I can trust to actually teach Mm -hmm. and keep the class in line. Um, and my, my students also, by the time they get to ninth grade, um, they've kind of figured out the game. Sure. They know, okay, this is what Miss Edwards expects. And when she comes back, we need to be able to prove that we've done this. Or if they haven't, they're going to have a lot of homework. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, have yeah. you, so have you pretty much always lived in the same area or have you, or are you from no. somewhere else? Yeah. I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. Um, and I grew up in Princeton, New Jersey. And then as soon as I turned 18, before I graduated high school, I'd moved to Utah to start summer term at the university I went to. Um, and part of that was because I knew that Utah was known for its good falconry, New Jersey, not so much. They have different styles. Um, (laughs) and I wasn't able to make any connections there when I was in high school and I had already made connections in Utah at that point. And so I told my parents, Hey, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a Falcon. And they said, not under our roof. And I said, okay, I'm moving out. (laughs) And so, and so I moved to Utah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I know. I know some pretty good falconers that came from Jersey. They don't live there anymore. Exactly. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, things like you said, things have changed a lot 
you mm-hmm. know, since even then. I mean, even even whenever they lived there, it was still very industrial hawking. Yes. As opposed and, and not really so much in the ways of long wings and things, more mm-hmm. more your, you know, your your beautios and exhibitors and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, yeah, they don't <laughs> they didn't stick around either. So I yeah. understand. Yeah. New Jersey's a great place, but falconry, it definitely it's a bit more complicated to make work. Yeah, I would I don't blame you. I'm I'm kinda envious. I would move out west again in a heartbeat if mm-hmm. I could. I, I went to uh, audio school for about a year after um, you know, to learn how to do this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, for about a year post um, high school, like graduated and, and went out and um and then ended up back, you know, in Southern Indiana again and been there ever since. And I, I would move out West in a heartbeat if I could, but you know, as they say in, in the falconry terminology or the falconry sayings, West is best. Oh, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I never looked back. Yeah. People ask me, would you, would you go back to New Jersey? And, and I say, uh, yeah, for about two weeks Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then I'm back and then I'm back to Utah. Right. Mm-hmm. So whenever you, I mean, how, how did your initial discovery of all of this go like yeah. when, whenever you were, how, how young were you exactly when you found out about all this and, mm-hmm. and decided you wanted to, to start pursuing it? Oh yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's kind of a funny story. Cause you know, every child goes through phases of what they love, you know, every child I feel like has a dinosaur phase and then every child loves dogs at some point. And so I went through the normal phases and when I was about six, um, I started to go through a bird phase. And so my parents bought me the national geographic bird guide and I didn't realize you weren't supposed to read it front to back like a normal book. And so in first grade, I started with, with I think it's the waterfowl that's usually at the front. Um, and I started with the waterfowl and I started to work my way through this book, reading about, you know, like memorizing the maps and everything. I was not a normal first grader. And then I got to the hawks and the falcons and the eagles. And I was just, you know, um, pardon the pun, I was enraptured, right? I was immediately like, okay, these are cool birds, ducks, whatever. But these birds, they are amazing. And so I, at that point, I'd realized, okay, there's something special about this animal. And then I had a bird feeder, and so I started feeding the morning doves. I started feeding the sparrows. And one day I was um, out on the front porch um, walk, reading my little bird book. And sure enough, a red-tailed hawk comes in, kills a morning dove right in front of me, and sits there and stares at me, and then starts plucking in front of me. And f- I think the normal first grader reaction would say, "Oh my gosh, there goes my there, there goes my precious you know dove that I was feeding. This is terrible." But for me, I was like, "This is so cool. What bird is that?" Um, and so I found you know I found oh it's the red-tailed hawk, and it's right in front of me, and it stayed there for about probably five minutes before something finally spooked it. I think it was my mom coming home and it, it took off. Thankfully took the dove with it. So there was just feathers on the ground and my poor mother was petrified that I'd witnessed such violence, you know? Um, and so at that point I told my parents, I said, I want a falcon. I, I want a hawk. I, ne- I need this in my life. And they said, um, okay, sure. Yeah. Well, well, we'll get you a bird. And so that Christmas I got a parakeet. And I think in their head, they, they, they were thinking, oh, this is another phase. We'll have the parakeet for a few years, you know. Um, and it was not a phase. Um, we often joke about how, you know, do they regret that parakeet? Um, her, her name was Icy. She was a great little blue parakeet. I loved her. Um, by the time I got into third grade, I had acquired a cockatiel um, who became my very best friend all through grade school and all through middle school. In high school, I got a conure, um, and so I was steadily moving up in the in the parrot world. 
um, still not getting a, not getting a Falcon. Um, by high school, I discovered that falconry was a thing. And at that point I was, I was pretty hooked. I read my side of the mountain, like we all do. Um, I swear 75% of falconers, that's kind of how they get their start. Believe it or not, I'm in the 25% that still hasn't read it. Really? Yeah, believe it or not. It's a good runaway story to the mountains, you know, and with a falcon. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah. And so, and so that's how I kind of got my start. So, um, that's what exposed me to falconry. And then by the time I moved out to Utah, um, I was 18 and I was on, I can't even remember which falconry Facebook group it was, but I had joined quite a few of them at that point. Um, just kind of lurking and watching and just not making any comments, but somebody about my age posted that they had just gone their first hawk. And I was like, Oh, I rarely see people in their like late teens, early twenties as falconers. And so I looked at their profile and, and I decided to message them. And, um, at that point I'd realized, Oh my gosh, they live like five miles away from me. So my first message was, you don't know me, but we're going to be best friends. <laughs> and they responded with, sure, come on over. And me being a naive 19, 20 year old, I was like, this is a great idea. I'm going to go meet the stranger, mm-hmm. um, with a hawk and went over there and we, we immediately hit it off. Um, and that's kind of how I got launched into, into this amazing world. Nice. Nice. Well, and so whenever you initially started off and you kind of started learning with everything, I mean, was your path kind of similar to like seemingly 80 to 90% of most falconers that start their apprenticeships? Mm -hmm. And I mean, did you start off with a red tail? Did you what, or did you kind of go a a different route? Yeah, I kind of went a different route. Um, So I passed my falconry test right before um, I had moved to China. Um, I went to China for about six months. But before that, I was like, hey, I'm going to take the test. I have a free afternoon. Let's just see what happens. Took the test, passed it miraculously. I was honestly very surprised because I hadn't studied. Um, At that point, I'd just kind of been, again, watching and hanging out and lurking and just observing. Um, But took the test, passed it, and then I went to China. And so I had to put it on pause. Um, but while in China, um, I had the chance to meet some cormorant fishermen, which isn't falconry necessarily, but it's still using birds to hunt. And that was when I was like, okay, yeah, this is definitely something I really want to do. I can't ever use a cormorant obviously, but I can use birds of prey. And so when I got back, it was almost like the drive was even stronger, um, because of that experience with the, with the, uh, Chinese cormorant fishermen. And so I came back and I was still in college. Um, I was living, um, in a master bedroom in an apartment that did not allow pets. Um, and so I was like, Hey, how am I going to make this work? Cause I can't wait another year. Um, I got a sponsor. Um, I started to gather all my equipment and I talked to my landlord and I said, Hey, just, just hear me out. I have an idea and I really need your help with this. And he was like, okay, what do you need? I said, I need a Falcon. It's not a want, it's a need. And, um, and he was like, well, tell me about this. Thankfully he was very open to the idea. And so the way we made it work, um, was I said, it's going to be a passage bird, which means it's wild trapped, which also means I can technically release it if it becomes a problem in the apartment. And he was like, okay, can you show this bird to my kids and do like, just let us come over and see it. I'm like, yes, that's easy. I can do that. And so we worked out this little deal, right? Um, and the bird was never a problem. Um, I got a Kestrel 
And I'm sad to say, um, I really did not know what I was doing that first year, like most falconers. Um, but within a few months, um, I had realized there's something going on with my body that wasn't going on before the bird. Um, I was coughing, I was having like trouble, not necessarily trouble breathing, but I realized that my energy just wasn't up to where it was before. And so I released the bird, not realizing that these symptoms were connected. Um, got another kestrel the next year and about three to four months in started having the same thing. Um, it eventually became apparent that I had an allergy to birds, um, which is the worst curse for any falconer to have. Um, I always say like, when I die, I have a lot of questions to ask God. And the first one is why, why me? <laughs> um, but um, I, I realized, okay, well, I, I still want to be immersed in this world of falconry. How am I going to do this? And so I had to get creative. Um, I realized I could not keep a kestrel in a rented room, um, which is what I had been doing. Um, it was fine for the bird. Honestly, she had her own desk. She had her own space. It, it worked out great for her. Um, but I needed for my health, I needed to have separate spaces. And so my next goal became to buy a house, which is almost impossible for any, you know, 20 something year old, um, at the time. And I have my brother to thank for this. He bought a house and he was bragging to me. And to spite him, I said, you know what, I'm going to buy a house in a few months. And I did somehow I managed to, I realized, oh, wait, actually, if he could buy a house, I could buy a house too. And so I bought a townhouse, um, with four bedrooms and there was plenty of space to keep a bird in a separate room, keep myself separate from the bird. Um, and it's, it's worked out pretty well since, since I was able to keep everything separate, separated. That is one hell of an irony. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah, I, that would suck. I can't even begin to think about, you know, having something, you know, be, be being so passionate about something basically. And then just finding out that you, yeah. you know, had this allergy. I mean, initially, how did you deal with that? I mean, like, there I was mean, a lot of crying. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There well, was a lot of crying. I mean, did you try the some of the traditional, you know, things as far uh -huh. as antihistamines, all that kind of thing? Or did you or was it finally just one of those things you just kind of realized that there's just not really anything that's ever going to fix this? Yeah, that's a really good question. So at first, um, I, I went to probably three, four, five doctors because they couldn't figure out why I was coughing. Allergists specifically? Or? It wasn't until I went to an allergist that we finally got answers. Oh, so you like, did the like the ENT thing first? Mm -hmm. yeah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So I went to several different doctors um, trying to find these answers and they were doing some research and, and I kept on, I kept on mentioning, I remember saying like, could it be possible I have an allergy to birds? And they said, well, I mean, I guess it's not impossible, but also like you had birds growing up and you didn't have problems. I was like, no, I never had problems growing up wasn't until recently. And they were like, well, I mean, I guess it's possible, but it's very improbable here. Try this medication. It will numb your throat so you don't cough. And I'm like, okay, tried that. And it tasted disgusting. It made me cough worse. And then they said, well, I guess it's possible you might have asthma. Let's do asthma tests. That came back negative. 
they gave me an, an inhaler anyways um, to try if I ever had a coughing attack, just to see would that open your airways. Um, and, you know, we, we tried everything. We tried several different pills. We tried all the different, um, you know, over-the-counter, Allegra, Claritin, all these different things. Sure. And nothing really worked. Um, I finally found one that kind of lessened my coughing attacks, um, but it wasn't necessarily like the solution to, oh, finally, I'm cured. Mm-hmm. Um, until finally I went, I did go to an allergist. I finally told my primary care physician, I was like, just, I need you to recommend me to an allergist or refer me to an allergist. And he said, okay, go to this one. And they said, what do you want to get tested for? I said, everything, everything. And so I came up positive for like, you know, your typical mold, Timothy grass, which was one of them. I don't even know what that looks like. And then, and, and then I said, well, what about any of the feather tests? And they said, yeah, I mean, you did come up like slightly allergic. It's like an irritant um, to like poultry feathers or I think it was feather mix was the name of the the uh, the, sh- the shot that they give you like little prick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then they're like, but that shouldn't be a problem unless you're around birds. And I was like, that's the problem. I'm around birds. And they were like, oh, like, like what kind of birds? And I was like, oh, like falcons. And they were like, oh, I know a falconer. That's a lifestyle. I'm like, yeah. And then, and, and then it became quite an emotional situation of what do I do? Because yeah. I want to do this. I've wanted to do this since I was six, you know, since I discovered the eagle section in that National Geographic book. Sure. Yeah, no, it, that whole process sucks. I, mm-hmm. I went through that to not, you know, I mean, I've, I was violently allergic to cats whenever I was younger. Oh no. Yeah. You know, the, the dander, well, not really the dander, but you know, the saliva that's mm-hmm. on the dander, the, you know, yeah, that whole rigmarole. And, um, so, I mean, I ended up doing allergy shots for about five years and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. so I didn't know if that was a situation where you were able to, you know, eventually do the, the standard kind of immunology type mm-hmm. type of course for that or if it was something that you're just still living with and just dealing with you know the best you can today yeah yeah, yeah right now I'm just living with it the best I can mm-hmm. um and I think I've found a way to manage it mm-hmm. um I'm like for example if we had been doing this interview probably let's say three years ago even two years ago um, I was coughing at least once every three to five minutes <laughs> and I haven't coughed yet today. So yeah. we're doing pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, that's, that's one of those things that, yeah, it's tough. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, but uh, kudos to you for, like I said, still being passionate enough and dedicated enough to be willing to deal with, um, <laughs> upper airway constriction and or yeah. irritation constantly, you mm-hmm. know, but, uh, you know, just to, to still want to fly these birds and everything. I mean, that's that's a lot that I don't think a lot of people would. I don't know. Granted, I mean, the people that we've met yes. throughout the other course would probably do something similar if they mm-hmm. had to. But Once you get hit by the falconry fever, yeah. 
Yeah. You can't, you can't drop it. Yeah. It's, it, I was going to say, you know, a lot of people would probably just give it up, but then thinking about it, no, <laughs> right. No, wouldn't. we would find a way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because we're that stupid. Exactly. Yeah. Are we stupid or are we that audacious? I, I think there's a, a fine line. Uh-huh. It's a combination of, of everything. Yeah. Well, so I want to go back to something that we, that you kind of skimmed over uh, yeah. just a little bit ago and the whole, the whole China experience. Yes. So I'm, I mean, do you, why, why did you end up having to go over there for six months? Was it a voluntary thing? Was it education? Was it family? Mm-hmm. Was it? That's a really good question. Yeah. So it's half family and it's half education. Okay. Um, I'm half Chinese. My mm-hmm. mother is Chinese. Uh, she's American born. Um, but her heritage is Chinese. Mm-hmm. And I had this opportunity to go teach English um, in the same region that her family is from. And so I said, you know what? This is an amazing experience. Let's go do it. Let's go see what happens. Yeah. A lot happened <laughs> um, that I will not de- delve into here. Um, but one of the most amazing things that happened, and this doesn't really relate to falconry, so excuse me for for diverting for a second. That's no, fine. Um, but I connected with her family, um, who was still living in a relatively small village called Shuibu, outside of a slightly larger city called Taishan in the Guangdong province. And she had never met them because uh, she was born here. And her mother had passed away when she was eight. And so I met her mother's brother um, who was still alive. Um, and it was the most amazing experience of my life. His family just welcomed me. Um, we didn't speak the same language, um, but they, they knew exactly who I was. Um, they knew exactly who she was, even though they'd never met her. And that was kind of the catalyst to inspire my mother to also come over and meet her family that she'd never met. So the next year I brought her back and it was just this beautiful full circle experience where these two families united by blood had never, ever met until, um, until my mother's mother's brother was probably in his nineties. And, and shortly after that he, he had passed away. So it was a really beautiful experience. Sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm from well, I'm not from, but I mean I'm I'm from pretty much where I live, that area in southern Indiana yeah. or whatever. But my my mom has ancestry in, in South Korea. So that's something that I hope to get to do something similar to that someday too. It's you know, go to Korea experience. and see you know, like I said, I, I think it would be really neat. But so I mean while you were over there then, I mean you touched on the whole, you know, seeing the mm-hmm. you know, the 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 fishing and, yeah. and everything. Expound on that a little bit because I've never actually talked to anybody yeah. about that. And mm-hmm. you know, I've never talked to anybody who's seen firsthand anything like that process. Yeah. Like how do they go about doing that? Oh, I'm it was curious. a super brief experience. I wish it had lasted longer. Um, but Basically, I, I had arrived um, in this, uh, it, it's a touristy village, but it's it's small-ish. Um, it's called Yangshuo, um, and it's right on the Li River where you see those beautiful karst mountains. You know, when you see um, calligraphy paintings of China, they usually illustrate those mountains that just come up, come up out of the river. And that's where the cormorant fishermen are. And I had told my, my group of other American teachers, I had said, we're going to find cormorant fishermen. And I don't care how long it takes, we're going to do this. And they said, okay, yeah, sure, Krista. You know, they want to do the touristy things. Um, thankfully, Cormorant fisher- fishing happens to be one of the kind of touristy things. And <laughs> so um, we went on the river. We did this bamboo raft. Um, and as we're on this bamboo raft, I see this gentleman on his raft with about five cormorants. And I was 
losing my mind to say to, uh, to, for lack of a better term. And, um, I immediately after I got off my raft, um, at kind of our stop off point, I ran back up the river and, and I found him and, and I was trying to communicate somehow, you know, that, Hey, we have something in common. Um, and so, and so I got him to come over to me and I showed him a picture of me at that point I had held a hawk. So I showed him a picture of me with a hawk and he immediately was like, Oh my gosh, you know, I don't necessarily know what he was saying, but we were gesturing at each other and we were both kind of making this connection that we both use birds to hunt. And so he, he just kind of showed me his birds, you know, um, unfortunately I didn't get to necessarily see them fish, but he was just showing me, you know, the tie around the neck and the tie around the legs. And he was showing me his relationship with the birds and how, you know, the, the birds were still trusted him and they were in good feather condition. They were very glossy. They were very sleek. They were very mellow. Um, when he, he put two of them on a, on a bamboo rod, um, and lifted them up on his shoulders and they balanced perfectly. They weren't baiting, you know, um, they, they were just calm looking around, even though I don't know cormorants as well as I know, you know, peregrine falcons today, as an example, looking back, those birds were so well manned. They, they knew the game and he transferred this bamboo rod where he was balancing these two birds on either side to my shoulders. Um, and I still have that picture today where he put his little hat on me and, <laughs> and, and, and at the end I offered him money, you know, cause it's a torsi thing, but he, he, he kind of pushed it away. Um, and it was kind of an emotional moment where I was like, okay, he recognizes that we're, we're kindred spirits, you know, um, we're both into birds and we both love these birds so much. Um, and so I was probably just with him for 30, 40 minutes, you know, just where he was showing me the baskets and, um, he didn't speak any English. Um, and my Mandarin was very shaky at that point. I think I knew how to ask for, you know, the bathroom. I knew how to say I was allergic to spicy things, which even though I'm not, that's how, that's what you say to avoid spicy things. And I knew how to say stop running <laughs> because that's what I would say to my Chinese students. <laughs> um, but we had, we had a connection and that was something beautiful. Like we've talked about this earlier with some of the other people that have been here at the archives mm -hmm. and, and the rendezvous, you know, it's, it's kind of funny how pretty much no matter what nationality, you know, what kind of falconry is being practiced, whatever. Yeah. I mean, the, the foundation is always there and it never changes. Yes. So like I said, I mean, it's kind of funny. You mentioned, you know, the birds being well manned and, you know, the balancing perfectly. Mm -hmm. It's just, I, I can't imagine, you know, him doing probably much in anything different, you know, than what we would do. Oh stuff. yeah. But now I was just curious cause you know, there's so many different things and I'm sure you feel the same way. There's so many different things that I haven't got to see in person yet mm -hmm. that I would really like to, in all the travels that you've done, is there anything left like, I don't know, falconry wise or yeah. a specific species on a specific prey uh -huh. that, that you, that's still kind of like on your on my radar. Yeah, on your radar as far yeah. as to see. Oh, there's so much. I mean, with my with my Chinese and my Asian heritage, um, I would really, really love to see um, you know, how how the Kazakh nomads or the Mongolian people practice falconry. Isn't that I feel like that's on a lot of bucket lists, you know, to see to see eagle falconry. Um, and one of my dreams is just to stay with a family for a month. Um Unfortunately, again, with the teacher schedule, you can't do that in the summer. <laughs> um, but 
I would love to see that. Um, I would also really love to see um, grou uh, grouse hunting in Scotland. That's that's definitely one of my dreams. And this next summer, I'm heading over to visit quite a few Scottish falconers who have kindly opened their hearts and their homes to me. Um, and they've invited me back for the grouse season this next this next year during the fall and winter. So I'm looking forward to doing that, hopefully. Um, and yeah, there's I would love to see snipe hunting um, in Ireland. I know that they do a snipe meet. That's something I've been looking forward to seeing. And then I think that there's quite a few just different ways of hawking with long wings that mm -hmm. I've never seen. Yeah. Um, that I would really like to see. So, you know, I'm familiar with the Utah slash the Western American style of hawking with long wings. And I love it. It's a thrill every single time. But I want to see how other people train their long wings and how they how they've adapted to their specific quarry. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I know in the Middle East, it's quite a different style. And so that's something I would really like to see. Landscape too. Exactly. Yeah. Landscape. Which, you know, kind of goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. But Well, and that's something else I love about all of my experience with so many experienced falconers, not just around the world, but also specific to Utah, is that I can see, you know, how is falconer A doing it differently than falconer B? And then what can I, falconer C, take from both A and B um, that works for me and my bird specifically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and going back to your specific you know specifically going back to your falconry then yeah um i mean what were how did you find your, your first couple of experiences with with kestrels and mm -hmm. how do you think your experience learning was kind of different than a lot of people's then you know learning with such a small bird compared to yeah. your traditional red tail and mm -hmm. i kind of like getting people's opinions on that too that yeah. started differently mm -hmm. so, i mean there's people that i know that haven't even ever flown a red tail Yes. You know, and yeah, I've never flown a red tail. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you're now, well, now you're another one, Yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> but, but I mean, how do you think, I mean, do you think that you garnered anything differently from your initial learning experience mm -hmm. dealing with that type of species as opposed to, you know, a bigger, yeah. hardier raptor or. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I started with a kestrel for practicality. I was living in a student apartment, right? Mm -hmm. And so obviously a red tail was not going to fit in there. Um, I do know of one falconer who somehow managed to sneak a red tail into their dorm and they did mm -hmm. that for, I can't remember how long, but they managed it. I knew I could not. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, I got my first kestrel. Her name was Sakara, which you know, everybody starts with these really fun names. And then by the end, you're like, oh, this is Julie, <laughs> the the whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so anyways, um, I did really learn a lot from her uh, in terms of just manning. And of course, the weight management It's so specific for kestrels. Um, I remember one of my not not my actual sponsor, but somebody I was talking to at the time had said, you need to get this within 0.5 of a gram accuracy. And I was like, OK, we're going to do it. And we did it. Um, she was coming to me very reliably on the creance. Um, she was coming to the glove, to the lure. And I somehow was not just able to make that step from the lure to free flying. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with my own insecurities. Um, I think a lot of apprentices are extremely insecure. Uh, I was no different. And so Sakara's season did not, um, end with free flying. Um, and I ended up releasing her. Um, the next Kestrel I got, oh my gosh, she was, she was interesting. Um, she screamed with the hood on, she screamed with the hood off and I realized, okay, this bird's not meant for falconry. Mm -hmm. And so I released her, um, and I got a new bird. 
Um, and so I kind of did the same thing with that bird. However, I finally did get that bird free flying. Um, after about a month, I was like, okay, I have telemetry. I have a little micro transmitter. We're going to do this thing. And I free flew her for the first time, you know, just easy, easy flight, um, from her perch to me about 10 feet. And I was shaking the entire time, but she did it. And I was like, okay, we can overcome this. And so then I started, um, trying to field hawk her because I, you know, I, I was still, I hadn't, I was so shy. I hadn't reached out to people. I was so nervous to reach out to anybody. And I didn't know necessarily how to get her car hawking. Um, I'm very much a person that is, that needs to be kind of guided along the way, uh, which I think makes me also a good teacher. Cause I recognize students that need that as well. Um, and I couldn't quite learn from watching videos or reading a book. You know, I, I needed a little bit more hands-on Um, and there's all different types of learning styles. I don't think there's anything wrong with one or the other, but I needed more help. And so anyways, I just tried field hawking her. Um, it didn't quite work out. We'd never caught anything. Um, but I do remember one day she took off and I was just devastated. I took out my telemetry. Um, I was tracking her and I was just trying to figure out, okay, where's this bird going? And then I realized she came right back to the fields where we started and she was waiting for me. And that was kind of the moment where it clicked. And I was like, oh, I'm actually doing something right. She's not catching anything, but she came back to where we started. So I'm doing something right. Um, And um, from there, that was about the time that I figured out, okay, I have this allergy. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, falconry is not working for me right now. I need to take a break for my own health. And so I acquired a camera. Um, and I realized this is how I'm going to start to get in with other falconers. Um, because who isn't going to love getting pictures of themselves in the field with their bird? You know, it's hard to hire a photographer to do that. But what if somebody is saying, Hey, I want to come out. I want to learn from you and I want to photograph. Um, and so I have this amazing friend. Her name is Lydia Ripplinger and she's a wildlife photographer. Um, and she, and I figured out, okay, let's get this camera. This is within your budget. And that's kind of how I, how I was fortunate enough to meet all these amazing Utah Falconers. Um, and they've been so kind and so welcoming and so generous. I never needed the camera to begin with, you know, I could have just reached out and said, Hey, can I please experience this with you? You are, I know that you do this really well. I want to see it in person. And they would have said yes, but it was my own insecurities holding me back. It's admirable though, that you were wanting to give something back, Yes, you know, you Mm -hmm. weren't just expecting, you know, to get something, you know, an experience Mm -hmm. for nothing. Like it's, it's nice though that you wanted to kind of approach it with the attitude of, I want to have something to offer these people for their, for their time. Absolutely. You know, and Mm -hmm. not everybody thinks like that. Yeah. So that's, that's admirable. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to, I try to make sure that people, um, know that I'm not trying to use them, you know, mm-hmm. um, for lack of a better term, but that I really do want to invest in a friendship, mm-hmm. um, and a relationship as well. Sure. And so I think, I think it's a mutually beneficial situation where, Hey, now we have these amazing photos to remember this particular bird, you know? Sure. Yeah. And yeah, no, I totally get it. You know, it's, um, like I said, there's a lot to be said for that. You know, it's, there's, you're going to get a lot further ahead as mm-hmm. you have, obviously, because you, you. you've been around the world and have gotten a lot of really cool opportunities. Mm-hmm. And 
And so, so what are you, um, I mean, what are you doing now? Like, what are you, what are you flying now? Like what's, what's present day look like for you? Oh gosh. I love present day Falconer (laughs) Krista. Cause I know that if 12 year old non Falconer Krista could see her, she would think, oh my gosh, this girl's amazing. This girl's so cool. And I try to come back to that at least once every few weeks when I'm feeling down on myself, I think, you know what? 29 year old Krista is doing really good because 12 year old Krista would look at her and say, she's amazing. So 29-year-old Krista now um, has a peregrine falcon, uh, a female named Skye. She's my second peregrine. Um, and before I talk about Skye, I want to talk about Comet, um, who is my Tearsel peregrine. Uh, and I started with him this season. And Comet came from this amazing falconer named Mark Housekeeper. And I just want to talk about Mark for a second, if that's sure, okay. Sure, of course. It's a good story. Yeah. Mark is amazing. Um, and I'm going to try not to cry. I've already cried about him once today. Um, but Mark came into my life, um, in January of, I believe it was 2022. So about a year and a half ago ish. And he messaged me and I'd known him. We'd met before at different events and barbecues and whatnot, but I didn't really get to know, know him until then. So he messaged me cause I'd been doing my photography And he said, hey, Krista, um, I have a favor to ask of you. Can you come out and photograph me and my family with um, our Peregrine Falcon Comet? And I said, yeah, of course, you know, like, um, I'm happy to. When do you want to do this? And he said, sooner rather than later, I actually have a diagnosis. Um, I have ALS, which um, is also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. And a lot of people are familiar with this, with this terrible disease. But for those of you that don't know, basically, um, your muscles and your, and, um, and your joints just kind of stop working. Mm. Um, and he had started what he called adaptive falconry. And he said, you know, I, I really want documentation of this experience with my family and myself, because I think I want to write an article about my experiences with ALS and continuing to be a falconer. Because as so many of us know, falconry we do until we die, um, until the very end. And Mark was no different. When he got the diagnosis, he and his family got together and discussed, could we possibly continue doing falconry? Because that is one of the most core characteristics of Mark, as it is for a lot of us. And the family came together and said, yes, we can make this work. Um, and so I went out in the field for the first time with him, um, and photographed his, uh, daughter, Sarah and him working together as a team to make this thing happen for him. And so for example, adaptive falconry had this motorized wheelchair that went over all kinds of terrain. Um, and he couldn't at this point walk. So he needed this wheelchair to get from place to place. Um, but he realized that with his wheelchair, he couldn't swing a normal lure, um, because it just wasn't really conducive. Um, and so he used a lure pole instead. Um, easy fix, right? Um, he realized that his, the, the grip in his fingers weren't, wasn't working the way it should. Um, and so he was struggling with certain clips and trying to weave, um, you know, the, the grom, not the grommet, sorry, but the, the swivel through the jesses to, to secure his bird. And so he realized, okay, with a French clip, I can still hold it between my hand and the fingers that are still working to open and close it. Um, he lost control of his voice. And so he got an electronic whistle that he could use instead to cue the bird. And so all these things kind of came together and he wanted to talk about, Hey, I can still do falconry, um, to the best of my abilities. And there's ways to make this work. And I really 
really admired that in him. And so I kept on going out with him, not at this point because of the photos, but because I just wanted to be around him. He was such a, he had such an infectious joy and he was such a great presence to be around. And there was so much falconry knowledge in this man and I just couldn't let it go. And so I kept on going out with him and soon enough, his family was inviting me out for dinner. Um, and I, and I really did feel like I became a part of the family and I feel like I gained a sister in both Natasha and Sarah, his, his two lovely daughters and his amazing wife, Shimei has just been so kind and caring and has kind of become a bit of a mother to me as well. Um, and so towards the end, um, Mark needed to figure out what am I going to do with Comet, um, his peregrine and, I and, and he was originally going to give comment to his mentor, to his sponsor um, from years and years and years ago. Um, but then he he approached me and he said, Krista, would you like comment? And I was scared because I hadn't had a falconry bird. I, I had those kestrels about five years ago. I had seen and experienced falconry with Robert Bagley and with Steve Shingren, with Steve Tate, Harold Clark, some of these most amazing falconers. I still hadn't had a bird at that point because I still felt like I was still learning. How can I, how can I be worthy of such an amazing animal, you know? Um, and I really, I kind of waffled on the decision a bit. And he said, there's no pressure, but I would really like you to have Comet. And I think that you will do well with him. And I said, okay, let's do this. Let's, let's see what I can do. Um, and, and so I, and so I took Comet. Um, I had him through the molt. He molted out beautifully. And then we started the next season together. Um, and I had one goal in mind and this is, this is where it gets kind of sad. Um, I wanted to keep Comet alive. Um, and obviously we all do, right. We all want to keep our birds alive, but but I, but I said, okay, Comet, you need to stay alive um, because I cannot bear the idea of telling Mark that you were no longer here on this earth. And Comet was unfortunately taken by a golden eagle. Um, and we, we found his remains. We knew it was him um, when we tracked the GPS to that spot. Um, and I called his daughter, Sarah, and I said, something terrible happened. I did my best. I tried to protect him, um, but I couldn't, you know, there's when they're so high in the sky, you can't protect them. Yeah. And Sarah immediately said, we don't blame you at all. Let me tell Mark. And I met Sarah later at my house, probably 30 minutes later, um, with Comet's feathers that were left. And she said, Krista, the most amazing thing was I went to go tell Mark and, and I was obviously crying. And Mark immediately knew what happened. He typed out, because at this point he couldn't speak, um, and so he had a little device that he could type out with his eyes because he also couldn't use his hands. And he typed out comet question mark and Sarah nodded and said, yes. And then Mark said, Eagle question mark. And Sarah said, how did you know? Um, cause Sarah knew that I hadn't told anybody yet. And, um, he's, he typed out, I have, I've had a feeling since about you know, since last afternoon or last evening, which is, which was around the time I lost Comet. And so it was just amazing to me that he had this connection with this bird. Um, and he immediately texted me. And the first thing he said was, I'm going to let you be sad today, but tomorrow it's time for you to get a new bird or to at least start thinking about a new bird. And that's kind of the mentality I've adopted with a lot of things in my life. It's okay to be sad today, but tomorrow's the time to start to think about a new bird. 
And so now I have Sky, who has been just a joy and a pleasure to work with. Cool. Yeah, I, I kind of adopted something. I, I kind of reached a, I can't remember what age I was, but mm-hmm. there was a point where I'm like, I can't dwell on stuff. And what, <laughs> and I know for me, what, what I called it, my, uh, for my personal, I don't know, titling, I guess. Yeah. Uh, my, I called it my 24 hour pity party. Yes. And I was like, I'm, I'm giving myself a day. Yes. And after that, Time to move we on. We gotta move on. Yeah. Yep. And um, yeah, ironically enough, also that's kind of bled into um, you know, our hunting group and stuff too. Even if you have something that's really fun to celebrate and stuff, they give you twenty four hours, you can't gloat about it anymore, <laughs> and then you gotta move on. Well, that's a good <laughs> attitude to have too, right? Yeah, I like that. You know, we can't gloat too much over our wins, you know, but but yeah. it is it's a healthy mindset, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's also just us being asses to each other too, to a certain extent. But, yeah, uh-huh. but uh, but you know how it goes. Mm-hmm. But um, so yeah, so how's I mean the current bird then? I mean, have you gotten a chance to uh-huh. you know hunt much with your with your schedule and everything else that you've been doing? Yeah, um, I mean, how was your was this your first season with that bird? This then? is my first season with Comet. Okay. Yeah. And then um, in January, I got Sky. Sky, yeah. Sky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, have you gotten a chance? I, I mean, I know that wasn't that long ago. Yeah. I mean, I mean were you able to still do much since mm-hmm. you kind of got um, yeah. Sky late in the season? Or Yeah, we were able to accomplish so much together. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I have to say, I feel like a lot of the accomplishments were more me feeling like I was accomplished because now I'm finally doing this thing called falconry. Um, You know, I've been waiting for seven years to do. I've had my license for so long. Um, In fact, I'm the vice president of the Utah Falconers Association, and I somehow was serving as the vice president without ever actually having flown a bird at that point. Um, But I I really enjoyed, you know, I've really enjoyed serving as vice president. It's been a lot of fun, and I've met a lot of people through that. But anyways, going back to Sky. Um, So Sky um, was formerly Harold Clark's bird, who was uh, bred by Joe Terry. And, um, after Comet passed away, Harold, my, my mentor said, Hey, Sky would be perfect for you. Um, and I really think you should consider taking Sky. And I was distraught. I was just, you know, maybe in a year, you know, I can think about another bird, but, um, Mark's words came back to me and he said, it's time to get another bird. And I was like, okay, after my winter break, because as a teacher, we get a long winter break. I went home to New Jersey and then I came back and um, Harold transferred Sky to me. And Sky is a two-year-old female peregrine. Um, and she is kind of funny. Um, Harold kind of calls her a Velcro bird. Um, I like to joke that she has separation anxiety. She's very loyal. Um, whenever I watch the GPS readings, she stays really tight on top of you. She's just doing these really tight circles. Um, and she was probably hitting, and I know a lot of long wingers are going to kind of scoff at this, but (laughs) she was hitting like 250 ish, you know, when I got her and I entered her in the Utah sky trials, which the minimum pitch is 300. And I wanted to hit that 300. So I got her January 4th and then the sky trials were February 4th. And so I said, we're going to hit it every single day. We're going to go out there. We're going to you know, we're going to train as often as we can. Now, the nice thing about being a teacher is even though there's a lot of inconveniences, 
Um, we do finish teaching by about three. Mm -hmm. So there's still two ish hours of sunlight. Mm -hmm. So I would beeline it out there to one of my flying fields. The closest one was 45 minutes away from my school, an hour and 15 minutes away from my house. Um, and so about three to four, maybe five times a week, we would go out there and we would just start training. Um, we were doing pigeons at the time because with HPAI, I was just nervous. Mm -hmm. I did not, I'd already lost a bird. I did not want to risk losing another bird. Yeah. And so we stuck with the safe stuff, especially since we were training for sky trials, you know, pigeons are what we were doing. Mm. Um, and so she was still hitting, she always went above 250. It was always iffy if she was going to hit 300 or higher. Um, and so we, we went out there and the day before, or the two days, cause I didn't want to fly her the day before the sky trials, but two days before, um, the sky trials, two things happened. Um, I got my SUV stuck in the snow um, and I was with Harold um, and we looked at it and we were like, okay, well, we could try to figure out now or we could fly the birds. Let's fly the birds. And Harold has Buddy, who is Skye's um, older brother from another clutch. And Buddy is an amazing bird. He went on to win the Sky Trials this year. And that day, I think he hit 1,300 feet. And we were like, okay, one of our birds is doing amazing. Let's fly sky. And so we flew sky and that day she hit 360 feet and I was through the roof. I was like, okay, this is, we got this. We're going to do it. We're going to be amazing. We're going to, you know, we're going to enter the sky trials and, and we're going to kill it. Um, and sure enough, first we got my car unstuck, which was great. And then <laughs> on the day of the sky trials, um, I remember, just praying and just hoping to high heavens that she would hit that 300 mark. Cause if she didn't, then she couldn't get served pigeons and we'd get disqualified, which was still fine, you know, cause at least I faced my fears, uh, my insecurities about performing in front of a large you know, group of people and falconers, especially, but I knew I had so many people that supported me out there. They wanted to see me succeed. Um, and it was, it was such an honor, but we, we went out there and, and I remember, um, Somebody saying like, whoa, Krista has an entourage. <laughs> um, it was so it was such a beautiful, great moment that so many people wanted to see me succeed. Um, they all wanted to be out in the field with me. And so I went out with Sky um, and I remember turning back to my quote unquote entourage <laughs> and saying, okay, everybody who's not Harold, stay right here. Everybody who is Harold, come with me because <laughs> um, I, I really needed Harold's support at that time. Um, and Steve Shingren, of course, was there. Um, David Skinner was there, um, and it was, it, it was really quite special, but so we, so we go out there and I take Sky's hood off and she starts to sun herself and I'm like, oh girl, no, not now. Now is not the time to sun. Um, but after about three minutes, she takes off and she starts pumping and the adrenaline in me was just like, okay, we're doing this. We're going to get this done and we're going to go 300 feet. And I turned to the pigeon person. Um, I can't remember their name, but I turn to the pigeon person. And I say, when she hits that 300 feet, throw those pigeons because mm. I just wanted to get served pigeons. Um, and so we're, and so as usual, you know, Skye's starting to pump her wings. She kind of goes out towards the crowd, looks at the crowd, comes back around, is doing these super tight circles above me. I'm kind of walking around in the field, um, trying to kind of simulate what we normally do. Um, just this time with a hundred people watching mm. and, 
And I can see that she's still pumping her wings. She's going up and I'm looking at my GPS and I'm checking with the guy, uh, with the, with the judge that has the marsh, the other GPS on. And I'm just saying, Hey, do you have 260? Yeah, you have 260. Okay. I've got 280. Are you at 280? Yeah, you're at 280. Okay. I'm at 290, 295, 299, 301. And I say, throw the pigeons. Hmm. And Harold says, no, 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 not yet. She's still going up. (laughs) Um, and I think finally we threw the pigeons. Um, I think she was at 325. Mm. So not remarkably above 300, not the 365 she did before. Mm. But I was thrilled. She stooped, she chased, she turned the pigeons several times. um, And we ended up placing sixth place um, out of, I think, 12 birds were entered. So we were right at that halfway mark. And I was thrilled. Um, I was through the roof. I've rode that high for probably a month and I'm still posting things about on my Instagram because it's such a great moment for me. Um, and I, and I, if my research is correct, I think I'm actually the first woman to enter the Utah sky trials, um, which made it extra special. It's been going on a long time. It has been. Yeah. 48 years. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, congratulations on hitting a goal and, you you know, reaching a a personal milestone. It's always, it's always great to, to hit those. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, especially after dealing with a lot of adversity, especially over the course of a season and dealing with that kind of loss and well, technically, you know, more than more than just Comet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Mark passed away as well. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, congratulations to you for at least finishing on, on a high note for yourself, you know, and and it's a, yeah, I mean, as as they say, highest to highs, lowest to lows. It is, and, yeah. You know, and they're in back again. Mm-hmm. So, well, great. You know, I mean, it's been it's been great getting a chance to sit down, get to know you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, before we end this, I've been asking people kind of what they would like to pass on as far as a little bit of wisdom, um, advice, yeah. um, anything to, to future generations or even current falconers mm-hmm. or, I mean, what, what do you think would be something that you would like to, to pass on that would be, I don't know, helpful to, to people? Yeah. Oh man, there's so much, right? Like how do I choose just one little quote ism, you know, to mm-hmm. share with people? Um, but I think perhaps the thing that helped me the most was networking and just gaining friends and just not being shy. I was super shy, as I mentioned earlier, right? I was super insecure. Um, But falconers as a whole are very kind people. And we want to share our knowledge and our craft with people who are genuinely passionate and genuinely invested. And we want to see that our knowledge isn't going to go to waste, right? Mm -hmm. We want to see that our investment is going to turn out a new generation of falconers. And so I think I would tell, I, I think my best advice would be just keep hounding people, right? <laughs> like you, you need to put yourself out there um, because people aren't going to come looking for you. Um, you. You need to go looking for people to help further yourself in this amazing art. Um, and I, I would also just recommend people to be genuine, authentic, um, because as we know, the birds respond well to people who are authentic. Um, and I think people are the same way. Yeah. And I think we as Falconers especially can can usually see pretty quick when yes. when someone isn't really, 
you know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When uh-huh. We're kind of talking the talk, but not walking the walk, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good note to end things on, and we can get out of this hot sauna of a room yes. and go mingle some more and um, chat a little more, have a beer, and then um, yeah, go our go our separate ways. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. it's been a so. great rendezvous. This has been fun. Yeah, yeah. This is my first time at, at this. So, Me too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Great time, and um, like I said, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Thanks.